Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Hey, do you remember back in uh, the 1990s, do you remember um, those little wristbands and the t-shirts with these four letters, WWJD? Right, you remember that huge rage back in the in the '90s stood for "What would Jesus do?" and a great message for Christ followers to be thinking about, like what would Jesus do in this moment, in this scenario. Uh, but this past week, I've been pondering on kind of another four-letter acronym: WWJS. WWJS. What would Jesus say? What would Jesus say? Like, have you ever wondered, like, if, if Jesus was here right now and he was sitting on the edge of this platform, like, what would Jesus say? What would he, what would be so important on his mind and his heart to say to us? Well, uh, I kind of think I know what that might be, and that's what I want to talk to you about uh, today. Hey, welcome to the uh, final week of our Red Flags uh, series where we've been kind of going on a journey, identifying um, four kind of behaviors or responses that um, that can oftentimes be red flags, kind of warnings um, that uh, that keep us from experiencing healthy relationships, both with one another and with God. And so today we're going to be finishing up the final week. Uh, if today, if you're you're new here, welcome home. My name's Ryan. I have the honor of serving here as lead pastor, and you've picked a great week to join us today uh, because I really think today's message is going to be a, an eye-opener uh, for all of us. Uh, if you're taking notes today, uh, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 4, but if you're taking notes, I've entitled today's message, it's got kind of a hard word on the end of it, the red flag of passivity. The red flag of passivity. Hey, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just prepare our hearts for what he wants to say to us today. Say this out loud with me. Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's hop over to Matthew chapter 4. And while you're kind of turning to to get there, um, Matthew chapter 4 is uh, a chapter where Jesus is is uh, beginning to recruit his, uh, his 12 disciples. And this past week, you know, the, the combine is happening, the NFL combine is happening this week, and next month is the NFL draft. And I began to think like, okay, this is kind of like, like Jesus's NFL draft, you know, where he's gonna kind of pick his team. And, and I started thinking, man, that's really cool analogy. And then I realized, uh-uh. Like that's not really a good analogy because in the NFL, they're drafting the best of the best. And what we see in scripture is that Jesus isn't drafting the best of the best, that he's going around and he's picking average people, people who fall short every day in their relationship with him. He's picking those kind of people to build his team to do something special. I think of Peter, Peter being just reckless, reckless in his reactions, reckless in his, his words. I think of uh, James and John, who these guys were, were power hungry. 
I think of Simon, who um, I don't know if you realize this, but he was a zealot back in those days, which is equivalent to a modern day terrorist. You've got Andrew, who was a tradesman. He wasn't professional. He wasn't white collar. He wasn't rolling in the money. He was just a, an everyday kind of tradesman. You had Matthew, who took a, a financial advantage of other people for his gain. And, and you think of that, and you think about the kind of people that Jesus recruited. And what did he do with these imperfect people, but willing people. I think it's pretty fascinating to realize that he led a global movement that's still moving today. In Matthew chapter four, verse 18, it says this, that one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, which that's a different Simon than the Simon the Zealot who was the modern day terrorist, but Simon also called Peter and Andrew. And throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Now look at this in verse 19, that Jesus called out to them. And I know that if you've if you've kind of grown up in church or been around church for a while, you probably know what's coming after that statement. But today, I want us to imagine for just a moment that we don't know. I want us to imagine for a moment that when we see come, follow me, and I will, we don't know what's on the other end of that statement. You know, I think for many of us, we would just assume that on the other end of come, follow me, and I will, we would think that Jesus would say something like, I will make you more spiritual, right? Or I will make you um, be able to pray more or to be able to read your Bible more or uh, come and follow me and I'll make you more successful or I'll make you in your life happier than you've ever been. And I think most of us, would naturally guess that at the end of that statement, that it would have something to do about us. But instead, when we look at this scripture, it says, come follow me and I will. And then after that, Jesus says this. He says, show you how to fish for people. Come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Think about how weird that statement had to be to these guys. You know, I'm not going to really dive into the weirdness of that, but I do want to dive into how important the last part of that statement really was because the last part of that statement reveals God's heart for every single person who identifies as a follower of Christ. Let me kind of say it like this. Like praise God for an amazing church that we get to come and worship at on Sunday mornings. Praise God for an amazing worship team and, and production team and broadcast team that gets to, to help set the mood and the atmosphere that we can 
We can not just sing songs, but we can encounter the presence of God in this place. Like, thank God for the dream teamers who get up early and and brew the gourmet coffee that we have out in the foyer. Anybody thankful for a little bit of coffee at church in the morning? Like, Like, praise God that he saved us. Praise God that he healed us. Praise God that he has delivered us from our past. Like, praise God that I, I may not be what I want to be right now, but praise God I'm not who I used to be. Is that anybody's, anybody's story in the room? Like, thank God for all of these things, but, but you and I need to know that the purpose of all of this is that you and I would leave this place and go do something with it. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Church of Jesus was sitting on the edge of this platform today, and he was speaking to us, speaking to a room that was full of imperfect people, but people that, that want to live for God and experience all that God has and do all that God wants them to do, that if he was at the edge of this platform today, he probably wouldn't talk about us as much as we would think. Like our natural tendency is to think that, that when we receive Christ, that all of a sudden the rest of our life becomes all about the stuff that we get out of this relationship with him. But could he possibly sit on the edge of this stage and challenge you and me to quit being passive, to get off of the bench and into the game of seeking and saving lost people? Hey, turn to your neighbor on both sides and tell him I'm getting off the bench. Tell him I'm getting off the bench. If you head with me to John chapter four, we did a series about a year ago in John chapter four that's talking about the, the, the woman at the well. And this week as I was praying and preparing um, there was something about that story that stuck out to me that, um, that I didn't notice back when we talked about this a year ago. If you're not familiar with the woman at the well, story kind of goes kind of like this. This is the Ryan's um, interpretation of it, but um, the disciples are, are they're kind of, they're headed to Publix, all right? They're headed to Publix to, to get some food, and, uh, and Jesus is thirsty, And so Jesus stops at this well, and at the well is uh, a Samaritan woman. And um, I don't know if you realize, but just like right now, today in our society, um, uh, there were barriers. There were racial barriers back then. There were gender barriers back then. And um, Jews didn't really want anything to do with Samaritans. And in that culture, men didn't talk to women a whole lot. And so um, the disciples, they head to uh, Publix and uh, Jesus gets thirsty and he comes up to the well and there's a woman there. And Jesus breaks the barriers, right? 
He breaks the the racial barriers, he breaks the uh, gender barriers, and he comes up and he begins to have a conversation um, with this woman. And in John chapter 4, you can kind of read like the the conversation of how it goes back and forth, but they have this conversation, and all of a sudden this woman realizes that that he is the the Messiah, that he um, is Jesus, and that she surrenders her life um, to him in that moment. And um, and as that happens, as she surrenders her life um, to Jesus, and this kind of modern day interpretation, but, but the, um, the disciples return back from Publix, right? They come back, and, and let's pick up this story in verse 27. As they come back, it says, just then, his disciples returned, and look, they are surprised, they return and they're surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman, right? The, the gender barrier there. Now, I want you to notice something that I did not notice last year when we were doing this series. John writes this, he says, but no one asked, what do you want, speaking to Jesus, or why are you talking to her? Now, I don't know if you caught that. I've read this a million times and I never caught it. But this week, that phrase, no one asked, jumped off the page. I mean, why in the world would John see the need to write what no one asked? Like, wouldn't the majority of what he's doing, he's writing of what he sees and what he experiences. But in this story and at this moment, Something within John rises up to the point that he feels the need to to document what nobody asked. I begin to wonder, why would he take the time to write what nobody asked? And then I realized what it was. It was because John and the rest of the disciples regretted what nobody asked. They regretted that at that moment as they returned back from Publix and they see Jesus with this woman where her life is completely changed. She's beginning the transformation process and he comes back and he thinks and feels this sense of regret that nobody asked the questions of Jesus, what are you wanting? And Jesus, what's the reason? Like, Like, why are you breaking the gender barriers and the racial barriers to have this conversation? I thought about that and I thought that maybe they didn't ask because they were so focused on their own needs. They were so focused on filling their stomach and and food and trying to get Jesus this food. And we see in verse 28, it says that, that then leaving her water jar, the woman goes back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man. I love that. Come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And verse 30 says that they came out of the town. Like I I would imagine this in some metropolis. We're not talking thousands of people. We're talking about a village. And so I could imagine like 30, 40, or 
50 people beginning to come out of the town and making their way towards Jesus. And in verse 31, John says, meanwhile, like she has this encounter with Jesus. She leaves, goes to her hometown and says, come and see this man that has transformed my life. And John says, meanwhile, his disciples, they're still concerned about eating. (laughs) They're still concerned about eating. An entire town is coming to meet Jesus and all these guys can think about is eating lunch. And Jesus does what Jesus does. He he uses this as a teaching opportunity and he says in verse 32, he looks at all the disciples and he says, I've got food to eat that you know nothing about. Now he ain't saying that he's got a, a ham sandwich tucked away in the pocket of his robe. He's talking about the people. He's saying like, like in this moment that as people begin to come that, that it's them that he finds sustenance and, and fulfillment in more than the physical of, of the food. And in verse 33, this just blows my mind. This, this shows how uh, similar we can be to the disciples. Um, They said this in verse 33, then his disciples said to each other, hmm, could someone have brought him food? (laughs) Could someone have brought him food? I mean, can you see what's happening in this moment? Like all they are concerned about is eating lunch, right? This whole village is coming out. They're hungry for Jesus, but the disciples are just hungry for lunch. And here's my point of what we see in this passage of scripture is that if the disciples who walked side by side with Jesus, the disciples who would sit around a campfire and hear Jesus telling stories about the kingdom, the disciples that would eat with Jesus and walk with Jesus and, and have this kind of relationship, if they could get so distracted from their purpose of being fishers of men, so distracted and and their wants and their desires. Don't you think we can't too? Don't you think we can get so distracted and we can read a verse like that in Matthew, come and follow me and I will give you the house of your dreams or the car of your dreams or give you a happy life, never experience difficulty or or tragedy, come and follow me and you'll never get sick. You'll never lose a loved one unexpectedly. Like, Like we in our minds so oftentimes we build this idea of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. But it's come and follow me and then the rest of the story is all about what we get out of the relationship. But could it be Could it be that we get distracted just like the disciples get distracted? Could it be that that there are people that Jesus is wanting us 
to focus on, people that are, are coming to see Jesus. And could it be that we get so distracted with our own stuff that we miss out on the very purpose that God has for each of us as Christ followers. We see here in verse 34, Jesus, he says, listen, my, my food, he's talking about my, my, my sustenance, right? My, my place of fulfillment deep down inside, what satisfies me is to do the will of him, like not our will, not our agenda. Jesus says what satisfies me in life is to do his will, the one who sent me, and look at this, and to finish his work. Church, you and I, we've got work to do. Like it's not just about receiving the, the, the punch card, our eternity punch card, and we've prayed a prayer, and now the rest of eternity is with heaven, and, and now I get to go around living my life, like offer myself and my own wants and desires. But, but like it says in Matthew, like there is this invitation to come follow him, but the invitation isn't an invitation to come um, live a life all about ourselves, but it's an invitation to live a life that makes an impact and a difference in the lives of others. And Jesus says, my, my fulfillment in life, and, and maybe, that's why, maybe that's why some of us today, we, we kind of feel like there's just this thing missing in our life, that, that unfulfillment, we just feel like we keep like banging our head against the same wall, the same ceiling, nothing ever changes. And could it be because we have committed our life to do our will instead of his will? Instead of having a perspective of finishing the work that he's called us to, we're just so focused on finishing our own work for our own life. I mean, praise God for an amazing church and praise God for amazing worship and, and praise God for good coffee and praise God for an anointed prayer team that could pray with us at the end of service. Like praise God for um, the best sermons you've ever heard in your entire life. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm just... Be uh, Okay. I was more expecting laughs rather than hand claps, but thank you. <laughs> Praise God for all the, the church events that we get to participate in. But at the end of the day, I think what Jesus would, would say sitting on the edge of this stage is you still have work to do. Praise God for all of this, but there is still work to do. And church, I'm going to tell you, like, one of the things that you will recognize and notice about our church is that we're not going to be a place where, where we just allow people to come and to sit and be comfortable. Like sure, there's seasons that we need to sit and receive and find healing, but it's not about that. Like you're sitting within a church with a pastor who grew up in a broken home, didn't, wasn't raised in church. Like I got, I got all the lists 
of reasons in my rearview mirror of why I shouldn't be here and why I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Both from sin and both from just the physical nature of how I'm wired and how God has created me. But what I've learned along the way is that the less that I think about me and the more that I think about his will and his work, the more that he equips me to do things that I could never do within my own strength. And that's a story that he's writing in my life that he's wanting to write in all of our lives. And we will never be a church that's all about just come and experience a good service and then we're gonna go back doing our own thing. Like you will always feel this kind of tension in this room of me standing up here and challenging you for more because there is more inside of you than you could ever imagine. God says immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think or imagine that that's what he has for us, that he wants to blow our mind, but the only way he can blow our mind is if we surrender our will to his will. And church, I'm telling you right now, like we are not gonna take the foot off the pedal of this thing. Like God has, God has called us to reach a community and a city and we're not gonna get comfortable with where we're at. We're not gonna get complacent. Like there are empty chairs in this auditorium today, each one of them representing people in our community that are lost and dying and going to hell. And we are not going to be a church that sits back and sips on our coffee and enjoys our own journey and wants nothing to do and never makes a sacrifice for anybody else but ourselves. We are not going to be that kind of church. We are not going to be satisfied until we see every seat in this room filled up, not just one time, not just two times or three times on Sunday or four times. I don't even know. I don't know what God wants, but I know this, that when he looks down upon us, he is not satisfied with just what we have here in the seats that he sees what he's done in our lives and he wants to do it in the lives of others. And so I'm telling you, listen, I know this whole series has been like, eh, because it's, it's dealing with emotions and things that we like to kind of keep internal and, and not bring public. But I told you weeks ago, like I'm gonna preach to you like you want the meat, not just wanna sit back and drink on the biblical milkshake, right? Because God has way more in store for your life and for our church. He wants to blow our mind. Whatever you think the craziest thing is that God wants to do, he wants to exceed that exponentially. But that will never happen if we live a, a passive life with God. It's all about come and follow him and he's gonna give you all that you want in your life. That's not the call of God on our life. That's not what the invitation of eternity is all about. And church, that's why we're gonna, for Easter, that's why we're gonna have two services instead of one. That's why it's gonna be a little uncomfortable. We're gonna have to get up a little bit earlier and, and we're gonna have to have more people serving because it's not about us. It's not about our comfort. It's about reaching people in our community. That's why later in the year, probably September, we're gonna, we're gonna start having two services on Sundays. And I'm gonna tell you right now, that's not the stop of it. 
I truly believe that God wants to breathe into this place and that we're gonna see ourselves going to two services and three services and I have no idea what's beyond that. And I'm just telling you like right now, listen, I'm telling you right now, you have no idea what God has in store. Lean into the uncomfortableness. Don't complain at the fact that, that, that you got to get up a little bit earlier so we can reach more people. I mean, how miserable of a life is it that, that God used somebody else to bring us into the fold of the kingdom of God and that we could get frustrated and upset because we got to wake up 30 minutes earlier in order to provide more opportunities for people to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Church, let's be known in this community as a church that's not about ourselves, but is about his kingdom, his work, that we will say at the end of the day that we are all about finishing the work that God has called us to do. The disciples, they look at, at Jesus in this moment and, and look what they say. In verse 35, they say, Jesus, don't you have a, a saying that it's still four months until harvest? Do you know what they're saying here? This is a procrastination statement. They're saying in this moment, like, can we do this later? <laughs> like, Jesus, we got, a lot, we got a lot of other places to go and people to see. Like, like, can't we do this later? And then Jesus says these three words that I hope reverberate in all of our hearts this morning. He says, I tell you, open your eyes. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ripe for harvest. Could Jesus be sitting on the edge of the stage saying to us today, open your eyes, like don't get distracted on your own stuff and lose perspective of all the people that I'm calling you to reach. Friend, what is Jesus what was he wanting the disciples to see and what is he wanting us to see? I think one of the things that he would want us to see and recognize is that today in America and around the world, that if Jesus were to come back and listen, a lot of times we pray, we're like, Jesus, come back and come back. And that's a, that's a great prayer. But did you know that if Jesus came back today for billion people would go to hell. Based off the statistics, four billion people would go to hell. Now that's a huge number and it's hard for us to really gain perspective. Let's put this into perspective. Four billion people, if we took one person that stood facing west I have no idea which direction I'm facing. So those of you that have a detailed personality, just give me grace. <laughs> and one person stood, and then we pulled another person into the line that was close enough that it would feel a little awkward, right? And then you put another person, and another person, and another person, and you create this line of people along the widest part of Earth, the equator, 
And they all went in one direction. Do you know how long that line would be? Four billion people? It would wrap around the entire planet, not, not one time, not five times, not 10 times, not 15 times, not 20 times, not 25 times, not 30 times, 32.7 times around the world is the amount of people that if Jesus came back today would go to hell for eternity. Church, when Jesus looks down from heaven at that line that wraps around earth 32.7 times, his heart is broken. It's shattered because he sees four billion stories waiting to be told, much like this one. I came here in 2007 after the earthquake in Haiti, and I was just looking for a church to go to one Sunday, couldn't get to my regular church, and um, I was living right across the street, actually, and I just came and tried it out. Before coming to TC, I was, I guess I would say at the end of the rope, at rock bottom. Um, I was going through a hard time, but life in general, I didn't know what I was doing, where I was going. I ended up with COVID, and that led me to go back home because my friends kicked me out. I couldn't stay where I was thinking at. So went home and one night me and my mom was looking at our baby pictures and I just heard the voice of God say, come home. And that's the day I just rededicated my life, December 31st, 2021. I rededicated my life to God. I just said, you know what, Lord, I have to give it all to you. There's, there's nowhere else for me to go. There's no one to run to but you. But I wanted, I knew then I just wanted to make that choice to turn around. I knew it started with coming back to God. You know, I had to just give in 100% and say, yeah, I have to let you take the wheel or my life is never going to be right. You know, I'm always going to end up at this rock bottom spot that I constantly found myself in. And so transformation uh, jump started my rededication to my life because when I got here, that first service was fire. The word was exactly for me. So I knew that I needed to sign up for baptism January the 30th of that that year, last year, um, that was just a clear sign that I had made the right decision and chose the right place to grow in. Uh, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, I've had more great days than the hard days, but God's blessed me with so much. It changed my outlook of me wanting to just be more like Christ and me learning to spend every day that I wake up with God and not to miss a day to give him my first turn, my, my, my tithe, my first fruits. Just learning how to be more like Christ. I got involved in serving quickly after baptism. That was one of my number one things. I became involved in serving on the Dream Team. Um, I also am a part of the New Dream Center that we have going on. Um, we're giving some ideas and trying to jumpstart a grooming center within there where I get to showcase the gift God has given me as a barber. But I work with TC Kids, I love that. I love working back in the back with the kids, that's another ministry I'm in. I love working with kids, I always have all my life. 
And so God has just shown me in a year where I belong, where I want you. And when he tells me to go, I just go and do it. When I leave here every Sunday, it's one thing that, that like, it's like a mental note for me, is to take everything that I get here, that I learn, um, take it beyond these four walls. Being a part of the body of Christ to me is to share wherever you go. And that's my way of paying it for it. I don't care where I'm at, who I'm talking to, if, if it requires a minute or two to just take a side and listen to someone about God or for me to minister to them, I'm just, that's, that's how I want to pay it forward. It's just to spread the gospel and to show people that, hey, God changed my life and he can do the same thing for you. I'm just one story of God's transforming power. I wonder how many more are out there. Chantel's story is just one. And when God looks down from heaven and he sees a line of four billion people, he sees four billion stories waiting to be told, just like Chantel's. You know, it took me a while in my journey with God to realize that that the thing that pleases God the most is when his kids help him reach his kids. In church today, we are announcing a new initiative for this year. This initiative is called Each One Reach One. Each One Reach One. That we want to be a church that doesn't just kind of talk about the importance of seeking and saving the lost, but we want to be a church that prioritizes the mission and the call that God has on our, all of our lives to reach lost people. And friend, here's the, the challenge of this kingdom initiative that we're launching today is we are challenging you to be intentional this year to reach just one person. To reach just one person. Because when Jesus invited us into relationship with him, he didn't invite us just so we could go along living our life our own way, but he invited us into a relationship. But we also inherited a responsibility to be fishers of men. Church, I don't know if you realize this or not, but God has no backup plan to salvation. There is no plan B to salvation. We are it. And so how are we gonna live this way? How are we gonna, how are we gonna walk out of this room and this year have this, this kind of focus of, of each one reaching one? Well, we're gonna, we're gonna do it by two kind of two key words. We're gonna invest and we're gonna invite. We're gonna look for opportunities to invest our, our lives in, in other people. 
We're gonna take a look at our sphere of influence and we're gonna look for opportunities to, to, to slow down a little bit and to, to have conversations with people and to hear their story and to pour into their life. Like at the end of the day, people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care, right? It's so easy for us to get tunnel visioned in our life and what we gotta do and where we gotta go. We walk right by people that God has put along our path. And so we're gonna look for opportunities to invest. Like right now, one of the things that I'm doing is, is I'm going to the gym and can you tell? <laughs> But I noticed that when I would go to the gym at different times that I never saw the same people. And so I made this commitment that I'm gonna to go to the gym at the same time so that I'm constantly seeing the same people every week. And this, this last week was at the gym and I got this opportunity to, to just as, as Jeff was, was kind of walking by and just struck up a quick conversation with him because I saw something he was doing in the gym with his shoulders and I got bad shoulders and it was an opportunity for me to engage in a relationship. I didn't invite him to church because it's not time for that yet. And I just wanna invest some time and I wanna get to know him and I wanna hear his story until the Lord opens the door for the opportunity to invite. And what would that look like for you to Maybe go to the same grocery store, or try to go at the same time, or when you go to work, like you're focusing on the people around you, not just kind of kind of lost into space about what you've got to do, or your hobbies, or your kids' ball games. Like instead of just sitting in the chair and minding your own business, you're looking for opportunities to, to, to reach out and to say hey, and, and to meet new people. I'm not trying to shove Jesus down people's throat. I'm just trying to slow down a little bit to invest some time in, in his kids. And then we're gonna invite when the Lord, and you would know it, that as you invest, and the Lord opens a door and you have an opportunity to invite somebody to church. I mean, we got Easter coming up in what, five weeks, six weeks, whatever it is. What a great opportunity. Studies say eight out of 10 people who are invited to an Easter service will come. That's just, that's part of our, our culture. And so we're gonna have all kinds of invitation stuff that's out there in a couple of weeks. And we'll give you tools for that. The, the Sunday after Easter is, is Easter Remix. We did that last year for the first time and it's kind of like a family service and we got games for kids, shorter service in here and then we've got um, games for the kids and free food and it's just a, a great time for, for you to be able to invite people. When new series kick off, we'll have all kinds of invite cards or maybe as you get to know people and get to know their story and then you see a post on, 
on our social media about the topic that's gonna be talked about on Sunday. And because you invested some time in a relationship, you recognize that that's something that they're walking through and you're able to share that invitation with them. Second Corinthians 5, 18 says that Christ changed us, look at this, from enemies into his friends. The saddest thing about life is if we stop our journey with God with that and we become satisfied with the first half. We don't realize that, that Paul then said, in addition to becoming friends with God and spending eternity with him, that he has given us a task, that there is work to do, and that task is making others his friends also. Church, what would it look like? What would it look like if we became a church that was focused on the lost? If we came a church that would be dedicated that I'm gonna leverage my life this year, the next 10 months, the next nine months to just reach one person. How might God smile down on us and our life and our church if he would see a group of people, his kids, excited about reaching his kids? you bow your head with me today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we are a part of a church, not a country club, not a place where we just come to, to get mine and then to leave and go do our own life, but that, Father, we are a part of a church of hungry people, people that, that desire a move of your spirit in this place, not just so we could get the goosebumps and not just so the hair on our arms raise, not just so we can walk out and say, man, that was a good service, but so that you could transform our lives so that you could use us to transform the lives of others. So Lord, today, God, as we step into this new season, this new initiative of each one reaching one, God, give us the courage. Give us the courage to have kingdom conversations. And Father, I pray that as we take steps of faith, that Father, we will find that the power of the Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak. And that Father, you will use us to make an impact and a difference and the four billion people that wrap 32.7 times around the world, that God, you would look down at a church that's willing to put a dent in that line. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.